1: It's everyone's favorite Broadway cyber hacker, Drew Gasparini here with another episode of Now We're Talking, the podcast that Oprah Winfrey calls a huge waste of everyone's time. But Oprah doesn't know shit because everyone and their mom is going to want to hear today's episode. Our guest today has been seen in the first national tour of Kinky Boots. She's been in off-Broadway shows such as Jasper in Deadland, and she starred as Pamela in the Broadway musical Head Over Heels. She can also be seen in her hundreds of concert appearances in New York City every year, and heck, you can even hear her on my album, We Aren't Kids Anymore. I am so thrilled she is here because she's amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, now we're talking with Bonnie Milligan. Dive in, we're recording. I am here with the most (laughs) fabulous, (laughs) the most fabulous Bonnie Milligan. How are you, Bonnie? I'm good. How are you? I'm so thrilled you're here because- You know, I think the the way that I know you is just kind of funny and the way that like our, our, our uh, friendship kind of started was very recently, but we've been within these all the same circles for such a long time. And I just like adore talking to you. And I'll tell you what did it. Here's okay. what did it. We were in the studio. We were in Brooklyn and we were recording uh, my album, We Aren't Kids Anymore. So plug, good. plug, plug, everybody go check, check it, it out. out. It's
2: amazing. Uh
1: but yeah. we were having sandwiches and we were yeah. just eating it was like a break. And I remember talking sandwiches with you. And I was <laughs> and I looked at your sandwich and I looked at my sandwich and I was like, damn, I was yeah. so out ordered here. And mm. I fell in love with you. That's really what did it. <laughs> I fell in it. love with you. Sandwiches um, are very
2: serious business. You got it. It's all about ratio. It's all about everything.
1: Absolutely. Uh, really. No one can see this. I can see this. But you have like a little shrine to yourself behind you. What's <laughs> what's what is this framed picture? Does it say like ex- How, uh, certificate of I excellence? You
2: actually, see it. Um, no. So I'm in Ohio at my mom's currently, and so of course she has. And the other one. That is the street art that was done of me in nineteen something. I don't even remember. I was five. Wow. Um, You're welcome in New York. Thank you. And then um, that is my back when fifty four below used to do actual like sandwich board posters outside before they went digital. That was for my original solo show. Afterwards, my mom was like, "Can I get the posters outside?" That's amazing. Went and had it like cut up and framed. So she. No one else has done this the way. I like do your actually
1: mom, your mom got something very special. I don't know anybody else who's done this.
2: My mom went Midwest. So she actually I do have one of these in New York in my apartment because she gave me one. And then she oh. has the other that is hanging in here.
1: Well, um, you've so done that's, that. that's not the only solo show you've done at 54, or is that the only solo No, show
2: it was you've just done? the very first.
1: Very first. So that is kind of a, a big, a big yeah. stamp of the holy shit, look at my kid, I'm so proud moment. That's yeah. that's really awesome. Um, Bonnie, before we get really into the juice. Oh, God. Into the into the deep, <laughs> the French dip of juiciness. Let's. Oh, that sounds good. It does. I'm I'm does hungry because we, we I started right away talking about sandwiches and now I'm like starving. Um, I have a problem, and oh, I want to see if you have the same problem as I have. This has okay. nothing to do with you. This really has nothing to do with you. This is just a thought I had moments before we started this podcast.
2: Okay, great.
1: And I just want to see what your take is. Here's I want to get uh, Bonnie's hot take on this. In Aladdin, the movie yeah. Aladdin. Yeah. How long does Aladdin know Jasmine before he does the line? Do you trust me? And do we think it's an okay example to set for young women that immediately you say yes to someone? Is it because he's shirtless? Is it because (laughs) he happens to have a, a rug that flies around and a and a monkey pal? All of those things I just said, by the way, are totally reasons to not trust somebody fact why does jasmine go for it well i mean the first time he says it to her he doesn't even
2: have all the accoutrement of a flying rug yet because oh God, he right. first says it to her in the market when he's trying to help her escape the guards that's right. and he's like do you trust me and that's when they jump out the window and thankfully land on awning i know the whole
1: fucking town is made of awnings that are like trampolines that you can just bounce from one to the other
2: supple awning you can either like it either like (laughs) holds you like a baby or it's like a trampoline and it's like how do you know which awning is which what if you were looking for supple hold
1: my, and you got The name bounce. of this episode is "Supple Awnings" with Bonnie <laughs> Milligan. I love that. The whole name of this podcast might just change to supple, supple awnings.
2: awnings.
1: Oh God, um, I clicked on that. Just,
2: like, what is that?
1: Yes, the supple is such an intriguing word in the first place. It's alluring. It pulls you it's right an, in, ugh, like I the just, awning wood. I was having a real issue with this today. I just can't, I'm kind of like, I, I had all this respect for Jasmine and immediately I was like, well, well, now wait a minute. Now she, I really lost a little respect for, for the jazz. The, the jazz. We're well, I call her, her the jazz.
2: He gets her out of, her accidentally stealing the apple because bitch doesn't know about paying for money because she's a princess. Great. Right. right. Um and she's like, I just wanted the apple. You mean I can't just take it? How removed are you, Jazz?
1: I mean it's kinda that's you don't know that people deal with money? The Winona Ryder situation. Remember when she was like caught shoplifting and you're like, Winona Ryder, you're a billionaire with all the movies you've done. How come you're not just paying for these things? And I think it's when you have enough money Yeah that you totally forget what it's for. That's what I really think happens. <laughs> you forget about yeah. You forget what it's for. You and I don't have this problem right now. Uh, you're no. in your you're in your mom's house in Ohio. Yeah. And I am in my parents' basement in uh, Northern California, as you can see by Obsessed. the grotesque amount. Of community theater uh, memorabilia that we have hanging on Oh, the it's community.
2: See, it just, from here, it just looks like a bunch of like Broadway posters.
1: No, I know. We, I have you fooled. If you zoom in on, what, on what's it's actually community. being said here, it's like a young people's production. All of them oh. say that. <laughs> this is where Matt Doyle and I met. Matt Doyle and I met doing uh. all of these shows when we were young, young little children. Babies. <laughs> I love it. You know, it is a perfect way to segue into where I've started with all of our guests. So uh, I haven't told you anything about this podcast, have I? No, I not at all. Do a you bit. like going and do you like just diving in with me, knowing nothing about what we're going to be talking about? I mean, sure, right? Do you trust me?
2: Oh God, Aladdin! Uh, yeah,
1: we're gonna we're gonna pray for some supple awnings to catch us along the way. I uh, I wanted to do this podcast. You know, when I hear a lot of these Broadway podcasts, it's always like broad wasted or like (laughs) what you know, there's always some Broadway pun going on. And inevitably we talk about our our theater nerd self. And I I don't mind going into that, and I'm sure we'll brush upon it. That's just the nature of who we are. We're really in the industry. That's part of our thing. What I really want to get to is the parts of you that not everybody could necessarily Google. I mean, we could talk your resume, but shit, that's all over the goddamn internet. You know what I'm saying? So you're in Ohio right now. Why don't we start there? Are you from Ohio originally? Tell us everything about your childhood. Oh God. Well, originally Central
2: Illinois. Like uh, Decatur, which is where Milliken University is.
1: Oh, I've, I've been to Milliken University. Sure. Is that where Sierra Bogus went? Yes. Yes. I totally taught a master class there. Did you go there?
2: No, I did a musical theater camp there Amazing. when they had that. Amazing. Um, yeah. No, I never went there because I didn't want to be five minutes mm-hmm. from, because also it's expensive, but they were going to give me a lot of money. And uh, I- Like a scholarship. But, yeah. Lots of scholarship. Not just like under the table, like yeah, the just like, paper, we thought you could use this. Like, Come on. And you're like, what? And I was like, I don't want money. No, not that. <laughs> Scholarships. Uh, <laughs> I hate money. I want to struggle. So my art is better. Yeah. Um, no, like the, the thing then would have been I needed to live with my grandma to go there. And she lived like five minutes from campus. And I was like, I don't want to not yeah. I don't I want to have that experience of. You know all the yeah. things. Yeah, isn't
1: sure? part of college kind of like losing yourself so you can absolutely. figure out absolutely making yeah.
2: tons of mistakes? All and the living mistakes, the dream.
1: all of them. You're falling without a, a supple awning at all. It's a, it's no an awning awningless awning. fall. That's what the, college should. Be. And
2: if there is one, it's a trampoline. You're mm-hmm. you're bouncing into something else, and you don't know what it is.
1: 100.
2: Yeah, um, I like that. We keep bringing that back. It feels good. Um, <laughs> so, I was there. And it was super, super small. Like where our—I uh, grew up in a double-wide trailer. Where our trailer was, uh, which my grandparents owned. You want the real nitty-gritty? I'm giving it I to do,
1: you. I do. I really do. I have. I already have ten questions just about the double-wide trailer. But please keep going. We can talk going. about it.
2: So my grandparents owned like I don't know, like five. Doesn't sound like a bunch, but like. I don't know how many acres, but a fair amount of acres. And sure. uh, what would have been the equivalent to probably like an avenue in New York City uh, was a just an open kind of meadow situation. And you could walk through that. And that's where our trailer was. So it was a different street, but directly behind their house. Wow. And I would walk through that field um, to get and I caught the bus at my grandma's every day because my trailer was at the end of a dead end road and other, the bus wouldn't come down the road. This sounds so. like
1: kind of like, um like magical as a childhood experience, but it also sounds like the beginning of like 10 Dateline episodes. That
2: I've watched. <laughs> oh, God. It could go either way. Yeah. It could go either way. Um, exactly. No, there were like, they had a, a garden out there and then they had, you know, pear trees and apple trees and all that was kind of like, as you walked from, the little field whatever from my house to theirs and my grandma made me breakfast every morning and I caught the bus there and I got off the bus there and hung out with her until my parents got off work and um yeah so that that is where I grew up Uh, my school was literally like maybe 30 kids in a grade no yeah so had I graduated from there Cause we moved later, but had I graduated, I think I would have been, there would have been like 25 kids in my graduating class.
1: Oh my God. That's like, that's, that's amazing. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea what that would have been. Like, I think yeah. there was 40,000 billion kids right. in my yeah. graduating class. You couldn't find me in the picture.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we had like, there was two grades, I'm sorry, two classes per grade growing up. Mm-hmm. So there's like just two teachers. So there would be like 12 to 15 kids in your class. Yeah. And then when we got to fifth grade is when we had like half classes with one teacher. You had your homeroom, but they were trying to prepare us for junior high. Can you imagine they were trying to prepare like 30 kids? Oh, God, how big will junior high be? Yeah. So funny to me now. That's um,
1: satirical.
2: It's like in your junior <laughs> high, we'll still be less than 100 kids for all three <laughs> grades. But it's overwhelming. Um, so I grew up there until, uh, let's see, we moved... My parents got divorced when I was 13 Okay. and my mom got remarried and, uh, the, uh, my stepdad worked for, she was a secretary at a, uh, they sell farm equipment, kind of a farm, business.
1: farm equipment. Uh-huh. The more, she- the more words you say, the less you and I are similar in any sort of way. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we're we're getting there. You're yeah, absolutely. You're definitely more Jasmine. I'm a lot more Aladdin. It's true. (laughs) That you didn't know that, but I'm Aladdin, bitch. Um. So anyway, you heard of your first, (laughs) folks. So then, um, uh, oh my! My stepdad was a salesman who Mm -hmm. was based out of Indiana, but because he traveled a lot, that's how they like got to know each other. Yeah. And so when they got married, he wanted to start his own business of the same thing. And he had so many different states as kind of his territory that I don't remember why it was Ohio is where he decided to base his business. But so we moved to Ohio. My brother had already graduated. He's five years older. So he was 18. He was okay. going into the national guard. Um, oh, wow. cause again, we had no money, so he needed to pay for college. Right. And, um, oh, yeah. he was going off to boot camp. And uh, I was about to be a junior in high school when we had to move two states away. And my mom is the oldest of six kids and a bunch of, they all had a lot of kids. So there was like 27 grandkids and I was super close with my grandma, cut to me getting breakfast with her every morning and hanging out all the time. And that was really hard for me because you know i was used to having my grandma and grandpa right there um not not mentioning my grandpa much sorry i love you too grandpa oh Um, both in heaven but um yes but you know what i mean like my grandma and i were buddies and uh and i had all these cousins and aunts and uncles anyway so we move away from everyone and right before junior year of high school it's really hard so we moved to another small town in Ohio, Northwest Ohio, uh, called Archbold, and that was about a hundred kids in a grade, which again I thought was
1: huge. Yeah, because yeah, I went from twenty five to a hundred to, to normal. I mean, like literally,
2: still it's very small. Yeah. but I was like, I was from twenty five to a hundred. Oh my god, how does anyone keep track
1: of this? Right, like, this is what crazy. China must be like. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'm ready for a city now yeah no um
1: (laughs) was your New York prep wow um
2: but it was a good prep for like you know college wasn't terrifying to me because I already had to leave everybody and everything I renew and start over again and make friends and I have I'm kind of like both extrovert and introvert like if I know a group of people I can be super extroverted and like let's be fun and let's you know whatever yeah but if it's like a group of people that already know each other it is not the easiest thing for me to immediately be me in that space right like hey how's everybody doing and some people are great at that i that's not my ministry Right. Um, so (laughs) i can
1: fake it though and but
2: it's very hard to like kind of like let's go act today because what it yeah you
1: really do have to like find new energy to put inside of you for that kind of thing yeah absolutely stressful
2: so um but I, i managed to do it i found some really beautiful wonderful friends and uh it anyway i finished high school there and then I got, um, did any of, of th- these
1: friends become lifelongers or are these yeah. like, people that were like just part of that chapter?
2: No, I definitely have some lifelongers that like, I even like it. traveled out to New York to see me and head over heels.
1: Oh, come um, on now. We love yeah, it. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, um, met some really great people. And then, um, Ohio state university offered me lots of money. Again, not in a paper bag, but via scholarship. Right. right. Yeah. And, um, uh, a paper bag
1: (laughs) that wasn't even part of the joke earlier but i love the idea of just (laughs) giving you a lunch (laughs) bag of some cash just
2: so shady but you're like i love it i need it yes i don't know um so i ended up going there kind of uh begrudgingly like oh i wanted to go out of state i wanted to go to new york um
1: but was college always part of the agenda for you? Was that always yeah. something that you were yeah. told to do or that you wanted to do?
2: I think both. I think mm. I was a, a pretty smart kid. Somehow I went into theater. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I right. i don't know how that happened. Somewhere I lost the brains. Um, I was a straight A student and I was very like a, obsessed with uh kind of being that perfect kid and trying to get all the straight A's. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't like a, I didn't like ever drink until college. Like I, I didn't really curse much. I was very much a good girl. I really yeah, was. Yeah. Wow. What a
1: loser. Um, right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, if you are one of those kids listening, you are beautiful. Don't You're beautiful.
1: Listen. Keep being you. Don't listen to if uncle you, Drew. He's a horrible example.
2: Don't turn into an actor. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I, um, I had kind of always like had straight A's, and you know, I I graduated. I can't remember the names. There's magna cum laude and summa, which is higher. Is summa higher?
1: You are Mac- asking. I think there couldn't be a wronger person to ask Amazing. that question to. But let's Amazing. go ahead and say, yeah, it was. It's smomo. What did you say? SMOMO. Mushmush. Summa. Yeah, you were mush mush cum laude.
2: So I, there's either like the four point Everything's that's the top top and i was the one below it because
1: oh so what you're saying is you were i mean like really given the the thumbs up in college i mean like it was your, yeah, your grades and your efforts were even, acknowledged
2: yeah even when i started drinking i still <laughs> was able to like weird um, i
1: started seeing my grades go up the minute i started drinking I, it's crazy
2: time. um yeah no so uh I ended up, but I loved Ohio State because, I mean, it is a Big Ten school, so we had the football games, we had uh, everything, in the theater department, they didn't have a musical theater degree, which Uh I'm really glad I didn't end up in, because that's where I would have gone had I gone to a conservatory, which we just, like, could not afford
1: right. um because and- they, they do ask and i, I hope they're all <laughs> listening i hope all you fucking conservatories are listening right now <laughs> jesus christ you're trying to rate you create artists in these programs why are you asking them for so much money they can't pay these loans off so you're crooks money. you are crooks boco so i hope money. you're listening
2: and even with like all of the scholarships because again i was super smart and i yeah uh Really, I applied for, like, every scholarship ever because, again, we did not have money, Um, and I got a lot of them, and still it was just, like, not possible, Mm -hmm. and I think there's something when – I remember, you know, kind of learning about it in sociology class in college, but – there's just a mindset that people don't take when they want to like judge poor people or judge anybody from a different class like why don't you just try why don't you just apply yourself but you don't understand the mindset that is instilled in you um you, you don't you don't like believe oh anything's possible oh we can yeah we'll 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 find ways to get that money no yeah. because yeah. it's like you're when your parents have struggled when your parents have been like let's just Make sure we have food on the tip. You know, my mom made $16,000 a year when my parents divorced and she was like a single mom for a little bit with just me. And had it not been for our grandparents that owned the trailer we were in and, you know, as my mom has taught me like how much they helped her financially, that we could have been like it could have been real real rough you know well
1: let me ask a question here because this you bring up something really interesting you come from uh really uh lean times you come from yeah. i mean 16000 that's that's a that's a drop in the well compared to what everybody else should be making and what is uh survivable what's livable yeah but yet you had a passion for something that you would think a family that is in that situation would never even allow that to be a dream lived because no, you got to earn a buck and that's a silly way to go and it's going to take you forever to get there. And, you know, so what was the conversation within your family of like pursuing such a lofty dream? You know, it seems lofty until you get close and then it's a job like anything else, but like in, in those times, talk about that a little bit. I'm so curious. Well, um, what's
2: also funny is there was so much when I was little and I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a newscaster. Random. My mom recently found something where I said that when I was five, I was going to be a newscaster. Five years old. I love it. (laughs) Newscaster. Also not like an, not like a news person. I was like, I would like to be a newscaster. (laughs) What? Okay. Um, random. Uh, (laughs) but, um, and then I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to be, you know, all these different things. And then, it was okay. like I got the lead in the school play when I was 10 years old for there the Christmas is. play. Mm-hmm. And again, this was the super small school. So what it the, the fifth graders were the actors right. and K through four in the school gym, you know, the, the fifth graders would be on the stage in the gym and then they would yeah. bring out the risers like where they would usually put, you know. I don't Absolutely. know sports terms the audience for the game yeah the audience and, for the ball
1: throwing and whatever happens. for all of yeah. that
2: jazz and pay yeah. through four would sit in the risers the you know the stand I don't know huh. the words <laughs> and uh they would put chairs on the court <laughs> for the audience yes. and um because you could fit the entire elementary school like that cuz there were so few of us. Um but anyway, the K through 4 would sing all the songs and the 5th graders were the actors and that's how yeah. we did the Christmas show every year. So wow. by the time you're the 5th grader you're like, I get to be on
1: stage. Yeah, you get a part.
2: Yeah. It's like, oh, it's been building up when you've been sitting in them risers mm-hmm. watching it every year. <laughs> and um it was I don't remember the name of the show, but it was something about I want to say it was like the elf who saved Christmas.
1: Yeah, that old one. Yeah, and
2: I was the elf who saved Christmas. Yes, you
1: were, Bonnie. Come okay. on. Okay,
2: I was Georgian. Was her name?
1: That's a great elf name. Wow. Georgian. Is- Georgian.
2: Georgian. Not Georgia Ann. Just Georgian. Just
1: Georgian. Yeah, that's great.
2: And there was some other elf that was there too. I don't remember that elf's name because who cares? Who cares?
1: Honestly. Everybody um, was talking about Georgian after the show anyway.
2: Thank you. <laughs> and um and it was like a light bulb went off and I was like, Oh my god, this is it. Yeah. And um I got my first B plus. This is fifth grade, so it doesn't really matter. Um, right. in science because I just didn't I was just learning my lines. I didn't care. Right. And you were Again, into it. school was always easy for me. So the fact that I really didn't care at all and that somehow
1: was still a B plus was like, yeah, should have been amazing. Like, wow, girl.
2: And um, I, I
1: my the image in my head is you at 10 years old and your teachers are like, Bonnie, you're really behind <laughs> on your work. And you're like, uh, please call me Georgian. <laughs> For, like, two months. I'm trying to find where she's coming from. Can you just say Georgian? Yeah. Method acting, driving the other students crazy. That's just, like, I love that idea.
2: Um, and it was the other teacher, like I said, we started to change classes. Like, and it was the... um. <clears throat> Her name was Miss Wood, and she was amazing. Mm-hmm. She was like fresh out of school. And my homeroom teacher, Mr. Jeremiah, was very intense and he liked gifted students. Like he was very biased. If you were smart, you were his favorite. If you struggled, yeah. he didn't really have time for it. Right. And he would have us, it was very weird. We were 10 years old, right? Like 10 and 11 is fifth grade. And he would have someone, at the back chalkboard, write out high honors honor roll honorable mention and no. he would say the names out loud and they would write it on that chalkboard so oh all of God. us knew where everyone stood
1: he created like a sick little hierarchy within the the classroom yes.
2: and in fifth grade nobody cares yet you know what i mean uh, that's Except what donald me. trump
1: does with his kids i think he's like probably don jr you're here Eric you're here and then whatever the one with that starts with a T you're in an honorary mention Yeah. Oh, honorary Tiff, mention. Tiffany, she's a
2: I don't even know if she made honorary mentions because there were people that yeah. didn't even get on that list because those were all like you know what I mean like if you got a D like you weren't up there at all God. and I was already very like concerned about getting everything and I had just gotten a B plus and it was unheard of and I was already still this is around the time I was kind of fighting the the teacher's pet stigma because then yeah. he really also took a very strong liking to me in the in the way of like he would give me extra projects or if people would go to recess he wanted me to help him decorate his window. And yeah. it was like stuff like that so it was already like uh oh, teacher's pet. Oh, straight A Bonnie. And right. people didn't even need to know that. But the day that he did not write my name on the list, everybody in the room literally was like, "Bonnie?" because he went high honors, no one. And everybody turned to me. And I went to the next class and Miss Wood was like, saw that I was so distraught. And she's like, okay, everybody, Bonnie, can I see you real quick? And she took me out in the hall. yeah, And she's like, what's going on? And I had like a full breakdown. And she was like, it's my subject. it w- you, It's a B plus. It's still good. And yeah. I know, and she was so sweet because she saw me and she was like, I know that you're really worked up about the play right now. And I was like,
1: yeah, she, was oh, like, she understood.
2: She fully did. And she was like, she
1: understands tech week. She gets yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you. Yes.
2: Um, and so I was, she kind of had a moment with me and she was like, if you keep up like this, you're going to have an ulcer by the time you're 15. I remember that clear as day. Wow. And, um, so she really encouraged. It's okay to love this thing that you're doing. Like you need to take the pressure off of yourself a little bit, like with yeah. this other, and uh, and that's kind of when the I don't know why I went into that story, but that's that's just part of my life.
1: Deep dive. Well, stuff. It's, I was. I was. Um, this was, this was the going back to way of answering how how in the world you got into theater yeah. or the arts and, at all in this kind of environment in this town. And,
2: and also, my, so my parents met when my dad was the new lead singer of oh. the Southern gospel group my mom was
1: the pianist for. Oh, so music is definitely in the family.
2: Music has always been there. And so my dad was a preacher mm-hmm. as well as they would sing. So as soon mm-hmm. as I could talk, I was singing in front of the church. So that was always there. The acting part didn't come till I was 10. And I was like, wait, but I was always performing singing wise for people. And my dad, I know he always wanted desperately to be a singer. And my dad was a beautiful singer. Um, but he did not have that support. And because also he, he didn't grow up like, uh, I don't, no he didn't they were it was not a religious house he became uh, a christian i i think he was like 17 or 18 he was who was older and he at one point like he was maybe he was older because he was like kind of rebellious and hitchhiked his way from Michigan to Florida at one point to be Whoa. a caddy for some golf thing. like. Oh this but he wanted to go to school for music and he did the, what was it called? The Meadow Lane, the Meadowbrook Music Academy, somewhere in Michigan. He did that for mm-hmm. a little bit and he really wanted to do that. And then he didn't really have that um, support. And then he kind of became religious. And then I think he wanted to do Christian music, and yeah. that's when he started singing with like quartets and stuff. And it's um, the Southern gospel, the I don't know, the white gospel.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's um, there's
1: some toe tapping oh, good jams. Up no, in there. there's
2: some really beautiful harmonies and yeah. um, really really good singing. Um, and so that's kind of where he started going into that world. Yeah. So I think um, there was a certain degree of knowing that was in my blood, and my mom i don't know she was just kind of like always on board about it they saw uh they knew about the singing in the church and stuff and i remember being very little and having people come up to me afterwards and be like you're anointed they would say those words with me and they're like you just like crying like you just kind of changed my life and i was like five and you're like what so there was something special that happened when i sang for people that well at least we as a family felt Yeah. my brother beautiful singer he doesn't care though like he now like sings at his church but he's it just was never for him and it was like, yeah. very for me I remember I was five and I got to sing the verses for one of the songs and my family only did the choruses and I was very jazzed about that yeah. <laughs> And my brother was like, do I have to sing?
1: And I was like, can I take his verse? Wow. Thanks. You belong in the spotlight. You really, really, really do. Hey, this interruption means we have made it to the very middle of the episode. It's around this time that I like to chime in and remind all of you sexy nimrods to go support our guests. How can you do that? Well, they'll tell you how. All you got to do is follow them on their social medias. So please check out what they're up to and what they're doing and who they're supporting and who they're performing for and where they're performing etc 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 you can find bonnie milligan on twitter at belting bonnie or on instagram at belting bonds i mean not right now but right after this podcast
0: step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family
2: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: The impact you've had on uh, your fans through, before Head Over Heels. I mean, like, let's even talk before Head Over Heels, the, you know, the little microcosm inside the microcosm of doing these concerts in New York. Yeah. Uh, before you do the big Broadway show or just doing that as a byproduct of being an artist in New York, <clears throat> these videos of Bonnie Milligan singing are are a lot of them are gigantic for these younger artists who see this this presence and this voice. And you just command a room mm. in a way that is I, I imagine it was the same feeling when you were five. Does it feel the same to you now or is it old hat?
2: It's it does feel like really special like every time that it happens there's also something that like you know right before i do any show uh i mean it got a little different for head over heels because there's a degree of when you do a show eight times a week same with when i did kinky boots that you're like okay we know how to do this we don't have to like freak out but there is a degree of like nerves that happen right before that curtain goes up every time which i think is important and good. But then once you start, you're like, oh, I'm at home here. And right. It goes away. And excuse me. Burp, um, That's kind of yes. how I felt, <laughs> how I felt about um, performing live right before. So I started doing a lot of the concerts in 2014. And it was just one of those things where I was just saying yes to anybody that would ask. And I did a lot of um, kind of new composer evenings mm-hmm. where there would be a ton of different composers. Um, what did they used to be called? It was like, It Happened in New York or Once Upon I I don't know. They... Jen Tepper used to produce a lot of them.
1: Oh, um, yeah. Uh, you I, know what I, I mean? There was like I, yes. a series. <laughs> yeah, now I can't remember it either was her I'm and, sure and what's the other them. guy with three names? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So there was like series that would like... Yeah. And this is another one of the, where it would just... They would pick a theme and have a bunch of writers have a song mm-hmm. about it. Right. Right. And um, I started doing those and which was great because then you meet a bunch of different composers and one night you sing one song and a bunch of people just heard you live and they're like, right. oh, wait, maybe we should do something or whatever. Absolutely. And, um, and I was just doing any concert that would have me in for that year. And I was at 54 so much that Dylan Bustamante and yep. um Jen Tepper were both like, You need to do your own show. And I was about Mm. to leave for Kinky Boots. They asked me, I think, around, it was around the July 4th weekend I had just performed at, like, a bitching and belting thing. Right. And I was leaving August 20th. And I'm like, "Um, I'm about to leave. And they're like, well, can you put a show together? And I said, yep. And I had never, that's, that's that. (laughs)
1: The the way you just told that was like, oh my God, I'm about to leave, but can you put a show together? Yes, I can. It was like, there was the fear and the anxiety of the short amount of time you had before leaving (laughs) jumped out the window and you were gung ho, ready to go.
2: Deadline's good. Um, no, it was like scary, but I thought, yeah, I could. Right. And, um, I had worked a lot with David Dabin doing some off off off-Broadway shows and I'd met his partner Andy Einhorn um, Mm -hmm. who had seen me in the shows where David had written music and I'd done stuff and David was like I'm going to be out of town but I think Andy would love to work with you. Andy does like Audra McDonald concerts. I'm like I'm sorry what like he would want to do like my 54 below show. And he was like, hell
1: yeah. He'd want to do your 54 yeah. below show. I, I he, wouldn't be surprised at that at all. And it, and he was
2: MDing uh, bullets over Broadway at the time. Uh-huh. And so I would have all day rehearsal for kinky boots. And yeah. I was around the corner. Cause ugh, I feel like bullets was on 44th or something. And I was rehearsing at 42nd. So I would, get done with rehearsal and i would jump over there because he would have night shows and i would have day rehearsals and we would kind of do that or weekends and i went all the way up to his uh, dressing room and we put together a show and i'm so grateful for him because he's like you get three numbers i want you to think about this show of what would a fan of yours expect and i was like laughing and belting and he was like okay now you get three songs that are just for you. And it doesn't matter if it fits any of those. It doesn't matter if a fan would be like, what the heck is that song? You get three of them that are okay. hands down, whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. And I was like, okay. And then it was like, it's too much to worry about trying to learn songs right now. What do you know? What can we pull that like feature these things? And it was, yeah. um, he was
1: really- your, he was your supple awning. He caught he you.
2: Supple awning.
1: He was your supple yeah. awning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I just ask, what were the three songs that you chose that were, like, a little out of, you know, out of your own pure heart, but may have been a left uh, left turn for some of your fans who are going to the show?
2: So I wanted to do a Doris Day number because okay. I grew up uh, right around, I guess, when I was, like, 12. I remember my mom had talked about loving Doris Day, and so I bought her, like, a VHS of one of the movies, For Mother's Day or something. And I watched it and loved it. And then I learned about Doris Day, who uh, grew up in Ohio and she was going to be a dancer. Her story is insane. She was going to be a dancer, like a ballroom dancer. And they, her and her partner, won some competition. They were supposed to go to California and compete. And on the way to the going away party, their car got struck by a train and the bones in her legs, like shattered. And she was told she wouldn't walk again. And then she was like on bed rest, depressed because that was her whole life was dancing, oh. and then start was listening to the radio and Les Brown and his big band,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: uh started singing and then there were people were like, "Wait, you're kind of an amazing singer." And then she like lied about her age and went to audition to be the lead singer of something. She got it. She started touring wow. with Les Brown oh and God. they were somewhere she married her trumpet player got like had her baby at like 18 and then he was super abusive and so yes. she was trying to get out of this abusive relationship and getting divorced and that was like horrifying in the the 40s you know yeah. like oh my god and um she was at a party and somebody was like she should sing and they're like she was so beautiful they're like she needs to test for movies because they were all movie musicals yeah and she sang at a party and somebody said let's give her a screen test and she went and she was such a mess because of her like divorce and everything that yeah. she was a wreck and it didn't go well she's like i just need to go back to ohio when she did something else somebody was like just have her come in again and do this she's like i'm not an actor and she went in and booked it and literally became one of the top box office draws it's just someone who's met nothing but adversity yeah and like her second husband they were married for 17 years before he died and when he died she found out he had squandered all of their money and oh she God. had no money and he'd signed her up for a television show she didn't want to do, but she was in debt and had to do it. Like crazy stuff.
1: So something about her story was obviously like, um, this is the hero everyone should be talking about. Yeah. And I'm going to so, homage this person and sing her yeah. shit tonight.
2: So I had like listened, I watched, she's 40 movies. I watched them all. I'd watched her TV show, wow. listened to her music nonstop. And she's a big influence. And a lot of people don't like they're like what you love doris day i'm like i do and so that was that was one of my picks i even like wrote a paper about her when i
1: was in high school Um, this is why i'm had this podcast this is the kind of shit that i'm like i i never would have guessed that just based on what i feel like you're made to sing all the time i would never be like oh yeah doris day is her thing but this is super interesting she's like a she's one of your muses a little bit yeah
2: very wow. much. Wow, wow, So So, um, Andy, we, we matched together two songs. Um, and one of her movies that I love that I really recommend um, is called Love Me or Leave Me. It's her and James Cagney. And it's all about Ruth Edding, who was a jazz singer back 20s, 30s. Um, and there's just such great music. It's like some of the best music. Um, so uh, we put together um, You Made Me Love You. And what's the other one? Um I can't think off the top of my head, but we combined two and he made like a waltz kind of trans. It was just really beautiful. So we, I love that we did that. And I remember a lot of people like, I did not know, like when you talked about Doris Daniels, like what? And, um, so that was like important to me. Another one was actually his partner, David's song, David and Dick Scanlon wrote a song called wildflowers, which I had done at one of these concerts, which I think might've been my first big concert that kind of started it all for me yeah and i have such a passion for working with um new musical theater writers and and singers i that was another big thing that i had a lot of um that music in my show and yeah some kuman and diamond and um, boys. yeah just like people i've worked with and um that i was like that's important to me to also sing some stuff that isn't you know just Whitney Houston which I also did um
1: well sure that's that's the part where you're giving them what they want right that's the part where you're giving them the the big the big voice I mean Whitney Houston is such a big voice and I mean for Christ's sake your Twitter handle is belting bonds or whatever belting bonds. yeah that's Instagram yeah uh, yeah. so i mean like it's out there people expect that of you yeah Uh, i like when you give the treats though and you know to be honest that was some of my favorite parts of of working with you on the album that we did we aren't kids anymore again go buy that shit kids um but it was uh, like a duet like on and on and on with you and lily cooper and stuff like that i don't feel like i get to hear you do stuff like that enough yeah. because you're always given the big note which yes. you excel at in, in spades but you have so much more to offer and I love when people are like surprised like yeah. I had no idea that blah 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 why not you take five minutes to talk to Bonnie I would right away assume oh you're you've got to be the most cultured and versatile performer one of them at least out there you know just take a look at the stuff that interests you not necessarily what people want you to do. I think you are are gifted in like every avenue you could possibly go down. I have Thanks. such a talent crush on you, Bonnie. I really do. Thanks, but I gotcha. Well, hey, hey, hey. Look at us. A couple of <laughs> a couple of awnings for each Look other. Look
2: at couple awnings.
1: Um, <laughs> do you think that doing this 54 Below show I mean, we're going to talk about career now because we're kind of there. We're in New York. We're talking about new uh in your 54 Below experience. I mean, we're not physically in New York right now. We're yeah, both yeah, very yeah. very not there, but right. uh it, just in terms of your story right now, I kind of want to lead up to Head over heels, because in my eyes, as an observer of your career, which I was just an observer before we ever got a chance to like hang out and dilly-dally and fuck around in a studio or what have you, um, I was watching you do these new musical theater concerts. Uh, I know that you went on the road with Kinky Boots for a while, Mm -hmm. but head over heels seemed to be this really big turn for you in your career. It was that your performance in particular was very talked about and uh very written about and there was a lot of praise i didn't see any negative words about uh bonnie's performance in that show i thought you were so spectacular how did that did it first of all did it change your life and if so in what way
2: yeah i mean when i started when i went on tour what was really crazy when it kind of was building up to it you know we had stage doors in every city and i hadn't done anything big of note you know i'd done Mm -hmm. off broadway and off off broadway and um i had some of the videos from the other concerts i'd done and then i had just put out videos from my own concert and um i would have people at the stage door that had seen my videos yeah that would and also another thing is i was um playing pat the she was the redhead in kinky boots who was kind of the office manager who looked cute she did the tango with lola at the top of act two so Mm -hmm. i had lines i had a little little solo bits here and there and like ensemble things um and you know like a like just a featured ensemble but because i think of the tango moment that was like a featured dance i would have women of size wait to tell me what it meant to see a bigger girl on stage in kinky boots doing a featured ensemble track dancing and being beautiful because she was dressed really cute and she had a great wig god that was a good wig um (laughs) and I already was just feeling the stirrings of that when I did Kinky Boots, like going across the country and feeling either what they had identified with watching me on stage dancing. And I made sure to tell the producers and to tell Jerry Mitchell. And I was like, I just need you to know that this is what I'm getting. There was one, I can't remember what city, but one of the reviews brought me up in the review saying that that was another message of the show and that. You know, it was just—it was really beautiful to like yeah. see that beginning, the churnings of
1: it. Yes,
2: head over heels. I had done the first twenty-nine hour reading of right before I left in two thousand fourteen. We okay. did it,
1: so that's when that started for you. Yeah,
2: and so what i talked about earlier working with david dabin were shows at the flea theater off off broadway mm-hmm. and there were these epic shows like one was a five and a half hour greek drama like all of sophocles plays in one evening wow wow but they added so starting with oedipus rex and ending with antigone and uh that's was a heavy in- night
1: that's a <laughs> That's a real heavy night of theater.
2: Uh-huh. Sean Graney did the um, adaptation of this. It was called um These Seven Sicknesses. Yeah. And uh so I guess there's seven plays, not five. Good work, Bond. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um the five and a half hours, seven. That's there. There it is. Um, and it was, you know, down in Tribeca and the it was all about. Mingling, Like, so if you would come to the theater, yeah. I would greet you in costume and say, hey, can I help you find your seat or anything? I'm Bonnie. Nice to meet you. Uh, can I get you a drink? And it was that kind of a mingle so that it was part of the concept of the director, Ed Iskandar, that uh, if the audience knows you, they root for you a little bit more. Right. And it's yeah. not, some people do not want to be mingled and you got to read that and walk away. Yep. And some people are into it. Um, but at the first intermission we would serve dinner and the second intermission we would give dessert. And then it okay. was, so it was a whole thing.
1: Yeah, But through like that,
2: it. because of the mingling, you met a lot of people and somebody's job was to put out an email before with all the industry coming that evening with their headshot and a bio so you also oh my god (sighs) yeah when the director was like it's everything's about networking and so it was just a big learning lesson that year that i spent there yeah jeff woody was some one of the people that came and was was friends with ed and i found out later he wrote head over heels with me in mind from seeing those two shows I did. There.
1: Come on, Bonnie fucking Milligan. Just come on now. People are writing parts for you. <laughs> this is legend status. You're there. <laughs> You're there. That's the well, phone. I- What's funny
2: is I found like still even when I found out he like wrote this for you like at one point there was a short list of I saw I don't remember how I saw it but it was like just celebrity names to see if they would do it first like Adele and something right. like years ago you know and I'm like oh great you know and then uh, any yeah. celebrity fat person there was was just like on this list and you're like great, um but we did the twenty nine hour reading and uh and then I got this tour and the tour. I wasn't even an equity member yet. I didn't have an agent. I had no equity card.
1: Oh, my God. I had no idea about that. That's amazing. I got my equity
2: card doing Kinky Boots. And so they at first were – the director was like, don't do that tour. And I was like – because it was going to go to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in 2015. Mm -hmm. um, And they wanted to do a workshop of it in November 1st. And I was like, I'm going to take this tour, and if it's meant for me – You guys can get somebody to do that November week, which was just pre-production for OSF, which a lot of the time they've, they've cast, they cast their shows over the summer and then not everybody's out in Oregon yet. So they usually don't use the cast for the pre-production anyway. It's just for people out there to be like, oh, we'll use, it's not even, you know what I mean? So a lot of the time they don't use their cast. And they were trying to be like, "Don't do that," so you can do this. And I was like, "You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take this big tour. Yeah,
1: and get my money's equity card. good. Yeah, the equity card's good, and the payday's all right. Hell yes,
2: and do a first national tour. You know, you're working with Jerry Mitchell and Harvey Weinstein. With, not Harvey Weinstein. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Harvey Firestein." <laughs>
1: oh god listen i've made that same exact slip up i'm just so happy i haven't done it on this podcast that's horrifying I'm so happy there, there was no supple awning for you to catch you there that I'm was so- a
2: trampoline into a ditch where i got a head injury from a rock
1: oh my god uh, harvey firestein if you ever hear harvey
2: firestein don't that's not you yeah well, i still love you please still love me back um <laughs> Oh, kill me! Um, no, <laughs> Harvey and Cindy Lauper, everybody was there. So you know, like we were really kind of oh yeah, uh, that's a creating creative. what the tour would be. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I did that, and uh, I st- I had to submit an audition tape, and because it was the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, everything's in uh rep. So I had to do a couple of Shakespearean monologues and do all that, which I had that training from college.
1: Yeah, and
2: um. I got it. So I did the tour for 7 months and then I left to go do head over heels
1: in Oregon. And when when that transferred to Broadway because it was sh- pretty mm-hmm. short after that. It wasn't a long waiting period, was it? Or am I crazy?
2: Well, so we were you guys in did San Oregon-
1: Francisco or Berkeley or something after San that. San Francisco 2018, right. yeah. My parents so- saw that.
2: They did.
1: They did. They loved it too. They called me up right away to tell me how much how much fun it was. They absolutely loved it. My dad was like, "I thought I was gonna hate it, but it was so fun."
2: <laughs> oh God, I loved being out there in San Francisco. They were such oh, good crowds. Oh, so good. Perfect a good, for that show. It's a great Perfect city for that, for that show. show. God. Yeah. Um. So we were at OSF in 15. From, mm-hmm. you know, I was out there six months. I came back in October of 2015, and then they overhauled it all like i got a call in like february that they were essentially was a very strange call um basically restarting with everybody except me like wow. the entire cast the entire creative team uh who was left was jeff Whitty and myself wow and the go-go's but they well, they yeah. hadn't yet been involved i met Four out of the five Go-Go's came to the uh, Oregon opening. Belinda couldn't make it. She like lives in Bangkok, I think. Yeah. Um, So it was a weird call to get because it's a show you care so much about. And my grandmother had died um, right before I went to Oregon. It was a very hard, hard year. You know, I was on the road. My grandma died. It was very sudden. Yeah. And then I leave the tour a month later of everybody that held me up during that to go to a place where I don't know anyone at a Shakespeare festival, one of the most prestigious ones in the country, which is already super intimidating. Yeah. Um, and they have a company. So here and there, they do hold auditions for people. I'm outside of the company. So I'm talked about because I'm the one coming in that now people are talking about, oh, this was written for, oh, she's the lead of the musical. Like, who is this? Right. And um, so you're like, God, I have to live up to these expectations and I have to prove myself. And um, only a few people made me feel like that, but I did get that. Um, yeah, that's
1: that's still what, what treatment.
2: <laughs> but then those people, it's so funny became very very dear friends of mine (laughs) but at first they were like they were like who are you um but and we joke about it now and I was like you were you were scary um but uh and it became the most amazing time of these people that were so beautiful who held me up in another way you know and so I came back to New York and that was a hard transition for me and then to hear oh wait everybody that Really held you up, like they're all gone. And a lot of them who work there, they're like, we know we get replaced a lot. Yeah, it's not easy, but we're used to this. And um, and so it was just, it was really strange. So Michael Mayer took over, and we had a workshop up at Vassar in two thousand sixteen. Okay. Then we did a lab in January of two thousand seventeen. Okay. Then two thousand eighteen. Is when we went to San Francisco and then Broadway,
1: and then Broadway in that fall, right? Is yeah. that what it was? Yeah, uh, so, summer. <clears throat> and that that production uh, on Broadway was all too short lived, uh, and yeah. uh, you know that's that's my personal thought on the whole thing. I thought it was it was so fun and great and beautiful once you really got the juice of what the show's yeah. about and the importance of the storytelling and the casting. I thought was so magnificent. Ugh, the best um, cast, yeah, and. When that came to an end, um, real quick, I just want to know, like, what did you feel your future was going to be after that? Because you'd made such an impact in that short amount of time just with your performance and the buzz leading up to the Broadway opening, when it didn't get the length of the run you would have hoped for, perhaps. Did you feel like, but I'll be okay because of this? Or did you feel like, okay, it's back to the hustle, which is certainly part of the the gig of being an actor. What was like, what were the fears and what were the securities you felt?
2: There's definitely like um, a bit of both of that. Like I, it, it was so heartbreaking. You know, it was coming because the, the you know, the houses just weren't full. And yeah. think we had a producer from Oregon who, louise gund who believed so much in us in the show that she just kept us open and yeah. you know we could have closed people are like you're gonna close in august and you're like huh but we yeah. stayed open through january you know we had a six and a half month run which is nothing right. to balk at Yeah, um, no not at all you're right but it's way too short way too short for the show some people are like had it happened this season it would have been embraced and you're like it's frustrating when people say you were just um a little ahead of your time which is annoying because you're like but especially when it's like
1: years like just tiny amounts of years you're like but doesn't that
2: mean we were needed when and i know that we were like our audiences that we found were really beautiful and um it was special to know what we were doing what was amazing about the cast just 23 of the most beautiful people ever. And we believed yeah. so deeply in what we were doing. We had meetings with producers, you know, like, what can we do? How can we turn this around? You know, let's brainstorm. Like we were too desperately trying yeah. um, to fix it. And that's hard when you come out and the curtain rises and you see the group of people and we were all in a pose behind yes. a table, um, save for peppermint, but 15 of us were standing there when the curtain would rise up and, you sometimes you would just go okay and you could do that with each other you could feel it like we're gonna do this show because something about that cast is we gave it every show because even a small house they were so with us yeah that like it was real even the quiet ones you could feel them still because not everybody's loud laughers but you it's so anyway it was um it had been such a road of Feeling like you're just shouting into the wind, yeah, um, so that when we got our closing notice, you know I cried and cried, of course, um, but it, you you felt it coming, you had to feel proud of where you were, and uh, frankly, like to be very honest i was i was I felt a lot of dreams crushed i I had so hoped that this would be. Such a breakthrough for me, and um, selfishly, and in sure. uh, a lot of ways. Like, well, you just I've, clocked
1: the years you put into this. This is not yeah. like it opened and you had six yeah. months. You this is 2015, 2014. Sorry, fourteen to all, all the way to 2000 early 19. Early right? 19 is when we closed. So yeah. I mean, we're we're talking like five and a half years here. This is yeah. this is a lot of time to be put yeah. into something. So of course your dreams felt that way, and and who can blame you?
2: And I'm not somebody that. Um, easily gets cast in these types of roles you know i was standing center stage by myself belting out a song about how beautiful i am and um getting to be a romantic lead and getting to have a full character arc and doing things that usually you're relegated off to the side and you might make a quick joke and it was like i feel like we're changing things that need to be changed like when i was on the road and someone was changed by me doing a dance solo right um a duet i mean but like things that you're like people are hungry for this and hungry for this representation and hungry for something that like i don't know why it's so taboo to like cast a big girl in this way like you don't have to explain why she's there i was never explained why i'm in this role ever right right and so and it was intentionally written like that but it was never spoken of in the show right and um so it's like you feel this wave of like it's needed, but also the, the, the pullback of it. So it's super frustrating and you hope for running through things. And I, I, you know, again, you selfishly feel, <sighs> it sounds dumb, but like award seasons, maybe not going your way now. Right. Um, and which are is like a career thing because people get things and then their career sales. You're gonna right. get a TV appointment if you have this award or this nomination, and so it becomes a business thing as well as a dream that you've had since a kid tuning right. into the Tonys every year.
1: It's like and, the permission. I always say you like what each step you take in your career gives you permission to the thing you really yeah. want to do uh, down the line. Like whether it's TV yeah. or movies, you have to get some other accolades so that the rest of the industry gives you permission to kind of keep going. That's what it yeah. feels like at least. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so it, it became the sadness of the show closing the sadness of this dream of this specific show And knowing what the show said and meant to so many people, um, across all, uh, gender identities and sexual orientations and sizes and everything that how much it meant to such a widespread amount of people, Yeah, that disappointment, the disappointment and just again my own career of what it could have meant had it been a smash hit which i felt like it should have been and could have been and then you're like am i going to be forgotten all over again because it took a really long time to get me here and what does this mean and on top of just being sad about the show itself and what it would mean to the fans um so it was rolled up into all of that and the fear of you're not no one's gonna like care anymore because it was hard enough to get them to tune in to anything you were doing before. right it's like you um, said
1: it's like you're shouting into the void at times yeah. and and you, you don't i mean like i know we're keep going back to this joke but like it's kind of been used as this metaphor now you don't have the awning beneath you to catch you yeah. you really don't and and yeah. that is a scary circumstance to be in yeah um Bonnie i just we're we're about to hit an hour here, so I want to just wrap this up with one yeah. with one big final thing here and uh first, I'll say that good lord as a as a creative and a writer in this industry, I can tell you from every conversation I've ever had you are so far from forgotten after that <laughs> role you are so so talked about uh you always got a place in anything I write, and I hope you know that because i just i you were you I'm bewildered by your talent
0: yeah.
1: uh but I want to end by saying this. Uh, 2020 has been a diarrhea volcano- In a Truly. lot of ways. And uh, I mean, for, for, you know, nationwide, worldwide, of course, but I, and we do not have to discuss this at all, but I just want to say that I know that uh, we talked about your dad and yeah. uh, what uh, he was a, he was a pastor. He was a musician. The man, the man lives on in you in, in every respect, I'm sure, but we lost him this year. And yeah. I, I am, I'm going to say, first of all, I'm so sorry that that, that had to happen on top of every other shitty thing that had to happen in 2020. Yeah. Uh, but going forward and in mm-hmm. hopping into this new year, let's pretend we got the Etch-A-Sketch in front of us and we get to shake it, okay? Yeah. What What mm-hmm. is it that you draw for yourself in 2020? What do you want to see yourself doing more of? How are you going to con- uh, continue maintaining the output that you've made it so clear. It's not just for you and your your greedy artistic soul. It is for others. You see the impact you have on others. And that's such an important thing. Uh, the impact your family had on you. How are you going to carry all of that into 2021? Is it more Broadway? Is it more theater? Is there other avenues you want to start going down if you had the all the resources to do so? What would you be doing in 2021?
2: I mean, if I had all the resources and all the, the people on my side, I would love to, um, create, I, I would love to be a little bit more creating myself. Um, oh, yeah. and it's something I used to call myself a writer and I, I, I've, and I haven't written in a long time. And then that like weird voice comes in your head. That's like, you're not, that's not good enough or you can't do that. And, um, I just, I joined Cameo and I started writing little parodies for people to sing their name and to sing their message. And that all of a sudden I was like, wait, I do wait, hold on. And it was like my own way of just, I wanted to make them special messages. So I just started writing those and I was like, I need to do more creating. And I, and there's so much that has happened, um, God in this last year, especially, but um, the last few years that I'm like, I need to put that out into the world somehow, and I would love mm-hmm. to uh, do an album. I would love to um also write a show that I get to be in, like or be in the room about like yes. that. Would, that would be like the most ideal ever. And I need to like learn a lot. But if you're asking like fanciful, the best thing ever, I would love to like be on a TV show and me be there and me have a voice in a room about the writing of it. Yep. And to be like, this is... Let's represent some things. I don't um, think
1: that's too fanciful. I think that, you know, and, and God willing, some, we didn't lose somebody with the Aladdin conversation at the beginning of this. <laughs> Hopefully people are still listening at this point. But if there's someone listening, <laughs> oh, let it be heard here. Uh, Bonnie Milligan deserves the world and more. Uh, and it's it's <laughs> not just because you're so talented. It's because of of you just painted such a good picture of yourself. You are generous to a fault. You give, Aww. you create, and you perform for the sake of others and making sure that your voice is other people's voice. And I will always respect that of you. Um, Bonnie, I love you so much. I can't thank you enough for doing this podcast I you. with yes. me. Yes. Thanks uh, for having you me. You are tremendous. And I hope we get to work together again soon when we're both not yes. living in our parents' house. Oh my God. <laughs>
2: 2020, what have you done to us? We're in our 30s.
1: We're in our 30s. We deserve better than this. Goddamn oh, it! Oh God! Um, all right, Bonnie Milligan, I love you. Thank you so much. I love recording these outros. Hi, it's me, Drew Gasparini, and I just want to let you know that Now We're Talking as a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Go to bpn.fm/slash Now We're Talking. If you want to find out more about that, you can follow me on all my socials at Drew Gasparini or on TikTok at the Drew Gasparini. A special thanks to. To Bonnie Milligan and all you listeners, please rate and subscribe and come back for more. Guys, fuck Mary Kill. Waluigi, Wario, or Toad? I think I'd fuck Wario.